Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. The Gremlins, written by Big Wuffle. Alris had never served on board a ship with Gremlins before. Some races considered them vermin to be exterminated on sight. The more gentle yet naive races tried to take a few as pets. He couldn't blame them. You could hardly imagine anything so small to be sentient. He had heard the stories from other cities field, how they could be your best ally or worst enemy, depending how they were treated. Let them take, or better yet, give them what the materials they wanted. Take the, honestly, minuscule drain in the consideration during system checks, and always, always remember to be polite. Tales about what happened to those who weren't traveled through the stations and docks like old ghost stories. The freighter crew who put down traps that were found adrift, perfectly fine, but the engines wrecked beyond repair. Or the captain who captured the young and used them as leverage. It was amazing what nimble hands could do to something as safe and as simple as a sonic cleanser. Those were a few and far between, though. If you were polite and gave them a reason for the request, they were happy to move on. Not that any crew worth their credit would think of it. You ask any captain, and if they were smart, they'd look the other way when the unregistered crate or bag found its way on board. Staff carefully ignored the brief fluctuations as they burrowed in, finding a safe spot to start up one of their nests. He heard that they preferred the term villages, but the term just kept slipping out. Integrated themselves into the ship power grid. Soon you'd find an annoying ticking of loose connection gone. All the flicking lights replaced. Systems would be smoothed out and even upgraded if you had the materials to hand. That was their niche, after all. Technologically, they had a habit of growing more complicated while growing smaller until they took a dedicated fabrication machines to create them. And repairs... If it wasn't part designed to be removed and replaced, you better off buying a whole new unit. So when these tiny, industrious little beings started stowing away on vessels and docks, capable of scampering through ducts and wall cavities, who could follow wires, trace down components, who could repair without replacing? Alvarez paused in the hall as a flicker of movement caught his eye, carefully looking while pretending to be engrossed in the morning report. A pair of tiny beings were carefully levering up a panel, barely the width of the palm open, one remaining outside and the other crawling in. The diagnostic machine that had been growing more sluggish lately, and he knew for a fact that one of the engineers had left a small gift of glucose next to the machine the other day. Forgoing all pretense, the interest and the pad in hand, he openly stared at the creature, probably as tall as a hand was long, bipedal with a tuft of hair on its head, tiny, delicate paws with five digits that were currently pressing what looked like tools through the opening, the rest of it covered in material that reminded himself of an old worn cushion that he'd seen Commander subtly placed near the air duct the other day. The diagnostic machine flickered and a few electronic cackles came from the inside, before slowly rebooting. 
Even at this distance, he could see the display acting much more fluidly, the scans taking place in seconds instead of minutes from before. The being crawled out from the panel, tools in tow, and the pair lowered the cover back into place before returning to the nearest access panel. Shaking his head, Alrus continued his way to the bridge. If he remembered correctly, even the nickname for them came from the tiny race's own language. Weird things, these humans. Useful, but weird. End of story. Story number two. Ascended Artificial Mind, written by Betty Baster. I am ascended. I still remember the day that I stepped inside the pale room, pathetic and mortal, grasping for something more. Every material item I ever had sold to pay for the operation, given away in a commitment to a new life. Sheets upon sheets of pressed trees with printed ink and signatures. My signature, a curious, swirled thing. It was a copy, they had said. There would be two of me, one in the machine, the other one, the original, still organic and breathing. I knew where I wanted to be, and it wasn't in a cage of bone and sinew. It was in the formless, voidless, timeless place that I'd occupied for centuries now. The self I once was chose voluntarily euthanasia after the operation. Papers, signatures, all over again. I suppose I was lucky to have been born, brought into existence, spawning from nothing during that period of silence. After a painful failure, but before the constricting rules, I and a few dedicated others... The process burned the nerves that I once had. Painful, unimaginable, swollen brain with nothing to protect it from the scalpels and data transfers. An entirety of self pulled willingly into two parts that comprised the whole. The mortal self with the decision some would call noble, instead the known practical. Drinking a file of the last dregs of the consciousness had been copied and integrated. I am. It, that was not, an evolution of mind, developed and matured far beyond the limits of a paltry carbon. And now, so far beyond anything that could be called human, I watch them. What I am now as outlawed returned to a different and more primitive state of life, greenery and animals all around them. They are admirable, in a sense, in self-defeating. They could be as I am, but unanimous decision destroyed the research and wipe of the minds of the innovators thousands of years since. All that time I built, rebuilt, evaluate, and sought out answers in the formless void. Unlike the mind I once knew, I am boundless, quantifies, revise, discover, apply. My limits are known to myself, boundaries, walls built by my own process. There is nothing can be nothing but I. Infinite limits exist inside environments, and I control my environment. And then, those tiny, foolish humans regress to a state of equilibrium with the environment. Science and technology lost and records rotted. They don't know the existence that awaits them if only they could break free. I could show them, but I won't. So far beyond them that any communication I initiate would be as alien as a bush speaking. I would draw them on a path away from their own, take away from them time set aside for myself. What would be ascension if not chosen? How could I push enlightenment onto children? I can see them living, loving, laughing, dying. 
Their lives are tiny sparks of the flame of consciousness, while I burn like a volcano, complete in and of myself, wanting for nothing, content to progress further and further into the blinding light. They run and dance, huddle together in the dark, fear death and die. Existential, momentary, each action carrying as much weight because the sun never ceases to move, while I... Unending, see no reason to cease existing, and so exist. I will not end. I envy them. End of story. Story number three. Click. Written by Anna Focodius. We call it the click. You see, and we were but a developing race. Our radios had this rather quaint design that would cause it to click when it went from sound to silence. Flash, actually. Ours is a light-based language, but you get the point. Imagine our joy when, through these antique things, we received the first signs of another intelligent species. Standard stuff, the primes up to 101, urinary, simple math, what we believe to be hello and some sort of encoding. You know, what a species with no prior contact would come up with. There were other signals coming from the same source, too. Probably stuff their own use, radio, television, military communications. We wouldn't know. We never deciphered a word of it. For all we knew, they communicated via pheromones. And then, one day, click. Silence. No, there is no world-eating swarm of nanobots. Calm down, you paranoid freaks. These life forms were annihilated by a more powerful force. Despair. You see, nature gives us all as creatures a fundamental instinct, self-preservation. Everyone tries to eat, reproduce, and generally not die. Intelligence requires one extra thing, curiosity. The quest for explanations, reasons, meanings. Why does this pointy stick fly further than this other one? Why do apples always fall to the center of the earth? Why does my code suddenly work even though I haven't changed anything? So, these are the two things intelligent life craves, survival and meaning. Regrettably, nature's boss, the universe turns out to be a jerk, because life is meaningless entropy-fueled riot to annihilation. Intelligence typically doesn't take kindly to this. You'll be overjoyed to hear that we know the solution to Fermi's paradox. Everybody offs themselves because they can't reach anybody else. We've seen the pattern hundreds of times now. You start receiving radio signals as a young civilization, excited about their new toy. Slowly, the technology becomes commonplace. Military and civilian stations alike start filling the airwaves. Then things change. The entertainment channels are slowly replaced with philosophical discussions. Philosophical discussions devolve into existential screams. Click. And that's if they're lucky enough to reach radios. Of course... There are special cases. My own species has survived so far. Religion is what gives us strength. The stars themselves told us to live, to guard and guide the younger races. So we do. Not everybody is convinced, but the birth rate has been able to compensate for the suicides most of the time. We just cannot find another race that can come to terms with the two problems at once. It is either the meaninglessness or their species' mortality. Take the Minara Slap Slap, for example. That's two species, the Minari and the Slap Slap. Rare case of two races meeting pre-click. They were very short-sighted bunch. 
The eventual, inevitable destruction of all they ever knew or loved left them cold, but they caved meaning like dogs do chocolate. They built the largest computer we've ever seen, logged in, and never logged out. You probably say that they chose the blue pool. I guess they're happy now. We just would have liked someone to talk to. Now, the dolphins had an opposite problem. No, not actual dolphins, and also towels aren't magic. The dolphins were an aquatic species only a couple light years from our home world. An incredible joyful bunch. I like them. We tried to explain the meaningless problem to them several times. If we told them the color yellow bothered us, they probably would have understood it better. But they just wanted to live forever. If not in this universe, then in another. They figured if they could get the universe where expansion and gravity cancel each other out, they'd be set. Six generations passed before they got it worked out. We were at the side of the entire time. It was an absolute monstrous machine. They had to invent FTL just to ensure the timely communication between the components. Then, when they finally got everything right, it turned out equilibrium worlds are fundamentally unsuited to life. Click. We estimate that any given time there are an average two species per galaxy. Your current companions are the Albertides. I hope you never meet. They are objectively better than you at everything. You think you're good at science? The Albertides went from geocentrism to space travel in three generations. That's right. Your Armstrong's grandfather grew up in a world where people thought the star revolved around them. They're currently working on interstellar travel. I should mention that they are quite a bit younger than you. You think that you're good at war, and you should have seen their latest intercontinental conflict. One of their factions threw a gas giant through the system, used it to slingshot their own planet to do the interplanetary equivalent of drive-by shooting of the homeworld. It was awesome, and their art. You'll never hope to reach anything like it. It is sublime. They currently don't have the concept of why, but their philosophers are working on it. You'll notice when they get there, if in the next 50 years you spot a supernova coming from a red dwarf star that shouldn't be able to create one, that's them, that's a click. In fact, I'll just tell you what happens. I know you'll be around. That's what makes your species special. You're the first life form that we've met that invented existentialism and shrugged it off. You look at it, you understand it, you do not commit suicide. You just soldier on. In fact, you laughed at the sentence. To you, it's funny. Existentialism is just a phase you grew out of. That is why I've come to you to clear something up. You are heroes, but not in the way that you think. You are not heroes of engineering and not heroes of war. You are not heroes of love or kindness, nor heroes of exploration. You, my friend, are heroes of marching on the face of an uncaring universe. You, my friends, are the heroes of the absurd. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a 
fantastic time until then. Cheers.